Skull here. And this is Jeff. Welcome on board to another episode of the Tri-Art Academy where it's always better to get good rather than, than get wrecked. This time around we have the first of what we expect to be a number of deck techs here hosted at the Academy. Oh yeah, and today we have a juicy, flame broiling, awesome explosion of nightmarish goodness. Mm-hmm. Today people, we're talking about Sadisi Ad nauseum fishbowl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Competitive EDH. Now, you've heard me talk about this deck at some length in passing, and in this particular episode, we're going to be diving into the mechanics and the gameplay of this particular deck, which has been terrorizing the tournament scene at a few different LGSs here in the Pack Norwest. So, with that being said, let's actually dive into it. What is exactly of the what exactly is this archetype? So the premise behind this archetype is a very simple yet complex thing at the same time. You kill tables quickly, but it's at the cost of yourself. To really understand it, let's look at the rules text in the card ad nauseum in its full detail. Reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose life equal to its converted mana cost. You may repeat this process any number of times. Yeah, now that seems like a pretty juicy way of A, killing yourself, Mm -hmm. and B, well, most likely, if you have a low enough CMC, getting pretty much everything you bleed and want. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, I'm glad you mentioned that, because normally, in order to facilitate a strategy like this, you're talking about 60 card magic, which normally you would see this in, or even, you know, depending on what it is, whether it's modern or legacy, you would have to have some sort of a card in order to prevent you from losing, such as Angel's Grace, or you have to have such a wonky deck archetype that Ad Nauseam just naturally slips right in there with that. Which there thought. really isn't much. <laughs> which there really isn't much, as you so you know appropriately said. I mean, Frexian on Life is another card that's also used in uh, modern, modern Ad Nauseam. Yeah, builds. particularly right. modern. Right. Yeah, no, but this is Commander. Why does modern and legacy have anything to do no, with No, you're us? totally right. And let's get right on <laughs> back to it. You know, in this case, it is EDH. We go big or we go home. And so we're going to be using our life total as a resource, the way God intended. Yeah, 40 life seems like uh, 40 life for about possibly right around, I don't know, 30-ish cards. Seems legit. <laughs> That's not a bare minimum. I've actually put anywhere between 40 and 50 cards. Usually, my average is about 40 to 45 cards, give or take. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, as a key point of interest, the reason why I'm able to put about 40 to 50 cards in my hand on average per ad nauseum is because the average converted mana cost of the deck is about 1.45, which means I'm losing on average about one life per card. Yeah, no, that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Busted as all hell. <laughs> so, since we can't have four of the same card. We instead are going to group cards together by deck function. So that means we're going to group the tutors separately from everything else. We're going to group the mana rock separately. But there is an exception. We're going to be grouping certain reanimation spells together with the tutors. And that's because our general can tutor from the command zone. Since she also exploits herself, we can send her to the yard for reanimation for more tutoring. Now, obviously, this doesn't consider the card draw, but in this deck's case, we've grouped it the card draw together with the tutors from the deck just you know to keep it all in line so we're going to also provide the deck link to this version of ad nauseum fishbowl and rather than go over each card separately we're going to give you a reader's digest version of how this deck works and functions in actual time yeah no because this thing is a 
piece of art on overall everything. And the fact is, though, is that this deck has had some variation throughout mm -hmm. the years. In fact, we will even put a link down below, all right, even to the older version of this list, back when it was the Sickening Dreams variation. Sure. And in that variation, uh, that deck's version was to go find Ad Nauseam, uh, put a certain critical mass of cards in hand. Among those, go find a way to find Sickening Dreams or have Sickening Dreams in hand. Cast Sickening Dreams, but make sure then that you are able to prevent the damage to yourself and kill everybody that way. Yeah. Now, that's the old version. This is the new version. This is the new version. Which is, let's just say, a lot more effective. Most Definitely. And while we're talking about this one... Let's talk about the actual archetype. Let's talk about this deck, because how does this thing work? Sure. <laughs> so, this particular CDH archetype is a Storm variant. This deck will be casting a number of spells on the turn that it combos off, and will be actually channeling its resources through Aether Flux Reservoir. That means the ultimate goal of storming off is to find and resolve ad nauseum. That is the core point of this deck, and you do it at all costs. So to facilitate this, we have seven actual real tutors in this deck. Yeah, let's actually talk about those actual tutors. And here they are in no particular order on this whole thing. Burial Seal, Vampiric Tutor, Demonic Tutor, Diabolic Intent, Cruel Tutor, Ristic Tutor, and Grim Tutor. Not to mention, we're supplementing this in our deck with also Sadisi on Dead Vizier, and we also run three reanimation spells, including Dance of the Dead, Reanimate, and Animate Dead. That's correct. Any of those three reanimation spells can not only reanimate Sadisi for an additional tutor, which is why they're part of the tutor package, they can also reanimate a certain particular creature which can serve as a pseudo-ritual. And we'll get into that very yeah, shortly. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our... Let's, while we're talking about mana sources, let's yeah. start talking about them. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, this deck runs yeah. a stupid number. 25, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, of this deck runs. 19 of them are artifact sources. Yep. We have four which are mono-black instances that generate mana. Those are rituals, that's correct. And we have our three creatures, our two creatures, in fact. Mm -hmm. Those sources, which we will talk about, yes. 19 artifact-oriented uh, artifact mana sources of acceleration. The four instances, let's talk about those rituals. Those are Cabal Ritual, Dark Ritual, Reign of Filth, and Culling the Weak. The two creatures that we were referring to are Blood Pet and Overeager Apprentice. These cards effectively serve as mana batteries, and Overeager over Apprentice is very important because that card in particular can actually allow you to start ritualing off, storming off, and using it through cost reduction artifacts, which we'll also get into in just a little bit. So let's get to the rock package, shall we? Yeah, this rock package is 19 cards deep. Yes. And pretty much anything from 0 to 2 CMC that is cost efficient and is efficient in how it produces its mana is more than likely in here with very, very few exceptions. Now, these rocks combined let us get to 5 mana in order to cast a DC as well as ad nauseum very quickly. Most importantly, there is nothing in this deck that is over 5 CMC. In fact, the only cards in this deck that are 5 CMC are Sadisi herself, which, are in, which is in the command zone. You have Scourge Familiar, which serves as a floodgate, and we'll talk about what we mean by that very shortly. 
Paradox Engine, which also serves as a floodgate, and Ad Nauseam itself. Yeah, no, and by the way, two of those cards, Sadisi and Ad Nauseam, are no factors when you're doing the Ad Nauseam go-off. That's correct, and that's because those cards are not in your deck at the time you start going off. But let's get into the rocks themselves. And I will go ahead and start citing off those rocks three at a time with my partner here also citing the next three. Here they are in no particular order of importance. Chrome Mox, Cold Steel Heart, Everflowing Chalice. Flower Stone, Fractured Power Stone, and Grim Monolith. Guardian Idol, Helm of Awakening, Jet Medallion. Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petal, Mana Crypt. Mana Vault, Mind Stone, Mox Diamond. Mox Opal, Soul Ring, Star Compass. And finally, Thought Vessel. But let's also make mention of a couple other artifacts, because that's only 19 right there. There's also Chromatic Star, Chromatic Sphere, Expedition Map, and Wayfarer's Bobble that we have not talked about. Now, those don't per se uh, count towards the amount of mana, artifact-oriented sources per se, because they don't exactly produce mana, but they do deserve some mention. Expedition Map can go find Cavern of Souls or Bezeju who shelters all in order to fight those pesky blue mages. Wayfarer's Bobble finds an additional basic swamp for that extra little bit of ramp, and Chromatic Star and Sphere can both help filter colorless mana into uh, actual black mana as well as Cantrip in order to help us keep us moving through that deck. Yeah, no. And truth be told, is that what do we do when we finally resolve Ad Nauseam? Right, I mean, just because you resolve Ad Nauseam doesn't necessarily mean you win the game. You're totally right. It's high risk, high reward, and it's like playing Blackjack in Vegas. You are not wrong about that. <laughs> it's literally like playing Blackjack because you're like, hit me, hit me, hit me. Seven card Charlie, but literally an EDH Yeah, player. and the thing is, though, is that this deck... Because of Ad Nauseam, which is a high-risk, high-reward card, Jeff here has killed himself as high as 40 life and has won games as low as 15 life. No lie either way. And I'll tell you, like, there was a particular instance, for example, at GP Vegas when I played this deck. It was, in fact, the first game. I literally started going off with Ad Nauseam at 36, 37 life. I ended up killing myself on, on a Voltaic Key, of all things. Yeah, no, and yeah, when you brick, you brick you, hard. You, you brick, you <laughs> will feel it. So part of the deck's appeal isn't just about winning quickly and consistency through Storm. Part of it is living life on the edge, and that's one of the risks that you're going to have to accept in playing this type of an archetype. Many new players learning this archetype will end up killing themselves <laughs> at least once. <laughs> at least once off of a resolved ad nauseum. And sometimes you will not have the necessary mana to resolve either one of the two pl uh, primary floodgates, okay. which is either Paradox Engine or Scourge Familiar, yeah, as we well. talked about. And that's kind of what we were talking about with bricking. It's short. It's just like college basketball when you're trying to make a jump shot and you just bounce it off the backboard. Yeah. The rim. And the thing is, though, what's important here is that when you're reviewing cards for your ad nauseum, it's not about quantity. It's the actual quality. That's very accurate. I'm totally glad. That yeah, you we got to bring this up that. because 
the thing is, though, is that when you play a deck like this, it's like you could have 50 cards in your hand. But yeah. if you don't have the right 50 pieces, you might as well just walk away from the game at that point because you're already done. Right, and this is an exception. This is the uh, the difference between the normal, the a actual old school variation, which is Sickening Dreams, versus the new school variation, which is Aether Flux Reservoir. In the Sickening Dreams version, you're really relying on the number of cards that you pull off the top, along with uh, Sickening Dreams or Way to Go Tutor It. Uh, in order to be able to kill the table. Additionally, that kind of a deck needs either Glacial Chasm as well as the Land Drop, or something like Dark Sphere, for example, in order to make sure your life total doesn't get hit so hard off of the Sickening Dreams. Yeah, no, and the thing is, though, is that what we're looking here, when you're, when you're pulling cards off the top of your library, what you're looking for is a runway, more or less, mm -hmm. of... Pieces to find your floodgates, right? Or your floodgates themselves, which is Scourge Familiar, Paradox Engine. Enough mana to get those cards out in play, right? Mm -hmm. The turn you have it. And number two, in some cases, interaction with the current board state. And you're totally right to make mention of that because uh, this deck needs to make sure that it can plow the road, as it were, in order to make sure that its primary floodgates do resolve. So what do we mean by that? Uh, sometimes you're having to create 7-8 mana in order to cast a hand disruption spell to target the blue player to make sure that they can't touch any one of our primary floodgates. So that being said, let's actually continue on. The key number to remember here is 5. At five or less life, you're going to run the risk of killing yourself off of an ad nauseum, especially if you haven't hit Scourge Familiar or Paradox Engine off of the ad nauseum resolution. Additionally, that's the amount of mana that you need at a minimum from all sources of mana production in order to create enough runway for yourself to get off the ground. So this number does increase by anywhere between two and three black mana on average against mono blue players and this is because of targeted discard spells that you're going to need to want to cast targeting those players in order to strip counter spells from out of their hand now i should also mention defense grid can help you here not only is it good counter spell bait but it also bottlenecks your opponent's mana by turning off free counter spells like Force of Will. Yeah, no. Have you ever seen a cancel? Have you seen cancels in Force of Will form? Ew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's not efficient. No, that's not efficient. Come on, that's bad. So yeah, no. And the thing is, though, taking consideration is that the two biggest things about Adnaz Fishbowl is that it's both fast and it's consistent. Yup. And in that vein, this deck, more often than not, has a tendency to reward you for taking uh, risky... Uh, reward you for taking calculated risks rather than playing an overly cautious game. Now, to aid you in this regard, this deck also runs Yawgmaw's Will as a backup in case things go south. Yeah, no, and I've seen you play Yogg's Will on occasion because that... Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. You know what? That card might be worth $70, $80, $90 nowadays, but holy balls. That card has saved my bacon more than once. Yeah, no, it's was it worth its price tag? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can a can a big kid jiggle? Exactly. <laughs> 
But uh, no, let's keep going, shall let's, we? Let's talk about the actual combo itself. itself. Yeah, exactly. Because let's, people are probably wondering. We have we talked about cards like Paradox Engine. What is the end game of this whole sure. monstrosity? So where my deck differs from the traditional ad nauseum fishbowl variants is that it typically runs off Paradox Engine, then wanting to go find Aether Flux Reservoir, then storming manually in order to generate enough life in order to kill everybody. However, in a circumstance like that, you're having cast anywhere between 17 and 20 spells on average just to get there. That's pretty irritating. Yeah, no, that ain't good. No. That's, that's bad magic. That's, in my opinion, it's bad magic. I agree with you. But we can exploit this situation. In fact, to really exploit it, let's look at the rules text on Paradox Engine very quickly. Whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. Let's look also at the, uh, the ruling associated with this from February of 2017. Paradox Engine's triggered ability resolves before the spell that it caused it to trigger. The ability itself will resolve even if the spell is countered. So what that means in practice is that whenever you cast a spell, a triggered ability related to Paradox Engine will go on the stack on top of the spell you just cast. And that means unless one of your opponents has a stifle effect that's repetitively available on demand, they're screwed when it comes to Engine. That's why they have to counter Engine. Yeah. Now, after you hit 5 mana, you resolve Paradox Engine, then you drop a 0-drop artifact, generating a cash trigger for Paradox Engine. That untaps all of your mana rocks. From there, you can then start floating mana, and then casting cheaper free stuff in order to not only build your storm count, but generate large obscene amounts of mana. Yeah, now we need to find, while we got our mana, what do we do with it? Sure. Let's, let's, let's find our pieces. Sure. <laughs> Now, the next piece that you're going to tutor for, and this is where my deck varies from other people, is Stryonic Resonator. We're going to go find Stryonic Resonator. Now, with that next piece of the puzzle, let's really look at what this card can do. Pay two generic mana, tap. Copy target triggered ability you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. Hint, hint, Paradox Engine is a cash trigger, ladies and gentlemen. This is why Stryonic Resonator is important to the deck. Because with these two combined, that means as long as you can produce three or more mana, preferably both black and colorless, from all non-land permanent sources, you will generate infinite mana of both colorless and black. Yeah, infinite mana seems kind of dumb at this point. Yes. <laughs> so, with infinite mana, you then use your general, Sidisi, to go find the next two cards which will secure your victory. They are Voltaic Key and Aether Flux Reservoir. So, Reservoir is pretty obvious. We're using this card to storm off. But why Voltaic Key? Let's talk about why these reasons are. The yeah, are. Voltaic Key is a ridiculously stupid card that sees play in Vintage. But why does he play here? Well, Let's actually talk about that. I'm going to jump on in on that yeah, one. Go ahead, my good man. Thank you. So, Voltaic Key, where are we, where can obviously untap mana rocks that are positive in order to generate more uh, colorless mana. But we're not going to necessarily do that here. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to use Voltaic Key to untap Stryonic Resonator. 
So Voltaic Key will let you untap Strionic Resonator, and with Strionic Resonator plus Key, you will be able to create two separate columns of infinite cash triggers on Paradox Engine. So here's the second part. Remember how we were talking about how it would normally take about 17 to 20 spells in order to officially storm off? No, Voltaic Key cuts that middleman process right out the yeah, window. Yeah, you could go off, what, easily with not even... Not more you than can, nine or ten spells, right? Yeah, you can even go off with even one. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> so let, let's talk about that. So since Aetherflux Reservoir cares about cash triggers, and that's another key important point that should be mentioned, you will then be able to filter one of those sets of infinite cash triggers into Aetherflux Reservoir, thereby allowing you to generate infinite life by proxy. What ends up happening is you walk around the storm mechanic itself. It allows you to basically say, okay, with infinite mana and Aetherflux Reservoir cash triggers on stack, we're going to generate life equal to our present storm count multiplied by however many times we're going to copy the Aetherflux Reservoir cash trigger. Yeah, no, which gains you obscene amounts of life and proceed to... Obliterate people. <laughs> yeah, or dunk the table. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're totally right on that. I mean, what's my life total? Whatever I want it to be. What's your, what's life? your life total? Not high enough. <laughs> but, like any good thing... There is always a silver lining, yes? Yeah, there's always that dark side that they don't like to talk about. Yes, this deck does have some weaknesses. Yeah, and the, the sweetness, this deck's weaknesses is one of my favorite deck archetypes. Stacks! That's a four-letter word that should never come out of your mouth, young man. <laughs> Wash your mouth out with soap. Yeah, yeah, no. Jump off a bridge. What? <laughs> what? I have a two-headed monster that says you're going to be... Yeah, that, no! <laughs> no! But that'll be for a different day. We talk about that. Yes. <laughs> now, you probably won't believe it at first glance, but this deck's bane is the stacks archetype. <laughs> yeah. Now i got to rinse my mouth out. Yeah. Mouth <laughs> yeah now, no. it's, not the, it's not the pieces per se, though. It's certain pieces, however, that are in particular that just destroy this deck. That really cause it problems. And in this next portion of the discussion, we're going to be discussing them more explicitly here. And more importantly, what you can do about them. Because I hate stacks. <laughs> oh, don't you love stacks? <laughs> it makes you play the rest of the game with the rest of us. And no! Nice and... It's not what we're doing here. <laughs> so a couple of cards we're going, to bring, we're going to bring up. First off, the rule of law, Arcane Laboratory cards, right? Like, Eidolon of the Rarak and Aether Storm Canvas. Yeah, get yeah. Fuck those cards. Excuse my language, ladies and gentlemen. We, no, screw those cards. We're trying to storm off. We're trying to nuke the world. Go home. Be home in time for cornflakes. We're trying to get in and get out, and those cards prevent us from doing that. Yeah, rule of law and arcane laboratory in particular. Here. Uh, yeah, those particular cards especially. Unless you're running a card like Universal Solvent or Unstable Obelisk in your in your 99, you're done for. You are just hosed yeah. until somebody bounces it off the field. <laughs> Now, there are cards that are similar to this, and I'm glad that you mentioned them. Yeah. Uh, specifically, Eidolon of Rhetoric and Aether Sworn Canonist. Thankfully so, they're not quite as pop problematic because they are creatures. We do have some spot removal in this deck using Slaughter Pact and Fatal Push that will get rid of those problematic cards. 
And in fact, we can use um, the Paradox Syndrome out in order to walk around Aether Sworn Canonist. Yeah, Aether Sworn Canonist only prevents non-artifact spells. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's pretty solid. And in fact, you can play around all day. And eight Eidolon of the Rack, yeah, no, just kill it. <laughs> yeah, no, you just blow it up. Not a yeah. problem. Let's talk about another favorite card of yours that I've played here time to time against you. Good old Gaddick Teague. Do not ever. And the <laughs> rock means ever. <laughs> like Grandpa out of the asylum ever again. What? What? I'll play him all day long. No. What? Bad. <laughs> Smack yourself. No, no, this cranky old goofball really does shut off the namesake of this deck. We want to kill him quickly. Gaddick Teague is a problem for this deck. Uh, thankfully so... Like we said, Fatal Push and Slaughter Pack will make sure that he doesn't stick around for too long. There are other cards that will allow you to also walk around Gaddictique, such as Deathmark, Tragic Slip, and Vendetta. Not to mention, there's also a host of other cards that you can probably find using a search site that are just one CMC and less. Just make sure that player controlling Gaddictique does not throw on Greaves, Boots, or especially Darksteel Plate. Otherwise, we're going to be having a big, big problem. Yeah, no, and the truth of the fact is, is that Gaddictique, once he throws on some armor... We've got problems. Yeah, no, this deck, yeah, looks at him and goes, well... That's a problem. Yeah, no, we're not playing Magic no more. Yeah, no, now another person to... Uh, another creature, rather, I should say, to also make mention of is Mother of Runes. And if the opponent has a Mother of Runes on the table while they're trying to resolve Gaddick Teague, you will want to kill uh, Mother of Runes uh, through spot removal, or you will want to wipe the board uh, with her on the field. Because yeah, otherwise, no. you're not going to get spot removal yeah, to no. save your life. And also, a big thing we should also bring mention to, mm -hmm. is that if you want to know why he actually hates Gaddick Teague as much as he does... Is that Gag T also shuts down his other avenues of winning this game? Unfortunately, that is very, very accurate. Now, there is an exception to this whole uh, situation. If you can resolve ad nauseum while Gaddick Teague is on the stack and there's no cheaper protective equipment on the battlefield, you're more than likely going to run into some sort of targeted creature removal for Gaddick Teague, and as such, he's not going to be that much of a hassle. Now, if for any reason Gaddictique has resolved and there is a piece of equipment on him that makes him hard to destroy or exile, for that matter, to be targeted, there's three, uh, there's a few CM, a few, excuse me, few, uh, three CMC and less board wipes that are in Magic that can uh, deal with a situation like this. Now, those in particular are Virtue's Ruin, Nature's Ruin, Perish, Black Sun Zenith, Toxic Deluge, and Bantu's Last Reckoning. Of those six, Black Sun Zenith is automatically offline because Gaddick Teague's Oracle Tech says non-creature spells with X in their converted mana cost can't be played. Yeah, no. Now, that's a problem. Yeah, no. And the fact is, otherwise, you look at it all, Nature's Ruin, Virtue's Ruin, and Perish are also very... Narrow. Zero on their, narrow on their over-approach. Toxic Deluge just calls a bunch of life. Mm -hmm. And Bonto's Last Reckoning, in most cases, will time walk you. Yeah, it will unfortunately time walk you. And the difference of a turn is vital in a deck <laughs> yeah, like this. Bad. So, speaking of 
things that cause problems for this deck, and I don't really like these cards either, especially in the context of these deck of this deck. Stony Silence and Null Rod. Yeah, two of my favorite, another two of my favorite cards. I hate those cards. <laughs> if you these cards are all stars. To those who play Legacy and Modern, yeah, no, you play these cards if you can play them. Yeah, no, they're a pain in the neck to deal with, and our deck is predominantly composed of artifacts, so that's why I especially do not want to see any of these cards on the field ever, 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 ever. No! Now, a typical play line that we're going to do to walk around this scenario is an end step ad nauseum before our turn, and then from there, what we're going to do is we're going to go into casting the Rituals as well as Scourge Familiar into Exsanguinate. But from there, we're going to then try to resolve Yawgmoth's Will and then cast Ad Nauseam again, put the rest of our deck or as much as we can in our hand, then cast Exsanguinate out of the yard to kill the entire table. This is how we walk around Null Rod Stony Silence effects, and it's usually pretty effective. Yeah, it's a pretty solid way to get around there, and quite frankly, it is one of the only. This is the only way this deck has of getting around that. Right, and the reason why this deck can only do it this way is because, unfortunately, Unstable Obelisk is an artifact, and there's maybe what one or two cards in all of Black that destroy artifacts, and Stony Silence is an enchantment which Black. Can't even deal with Yeah, it. no. Stony Silence is something that Black cannot interact with. Yeah. Speaking of another card that deals, that loves to do stuff with artifacts, Kataki Wars Wage. Kataki is a respectable stacks piece. I will give it all the credit in the world. I hate that card. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. That's a card I don't want to see on the battlefield at all. Now, that being said, we can walk around this card as well. It doesn't usually affect us on the combo turn, but it's a pain in the neck to deal with prior to... Normally, when you're dealing with this early game, you're going to want to pay for the mana rocks that you're going to want to keep, especially the mana positive rocks, and then hold off for a turn or two until Kataki can be either dealt with or you can cast your ad nauseum right off the bat. Yeah, no, Kataki is a way that you can just choke up mana rocks here pretty solidly. Additionally, you can also uh, try to go find Slaughter Pact or Fatal Push to get rid of it. Yeah, because considering he's only a two drop. Mm hmm. Let's also start. Let's also talk about another card, and I know that you hate these cards. The Tutor Hate Suite. Stranglehold. I hate that damn card. <laughs> you know, you have never ever felt more useless than pay, playing with a deck like this against a, a Goto Helm deck, and they just turn one drop Stranglehold. Yeah. It's no. Like what? Did this just happen? <laughs> yeah. No. Great. My deck. Now I have a deck of hockey pucks. <laughs> Hey, look! Look at all those fancy hockey pucks! Yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> now, some tutor hate can be dealt with, especially of the Aven Mind Sensor variety. It is a creature we can deal with it. But enchantment-oriented hate is a totally different story. Now, thankfully so, this deck is generally faster than a lot of decks. And if nothing else, we can just use Vampiric Tutor in response to Stranglehold to go fight Ad Nauseam and walk around the problem completely. Yeah. But if they play Stranglehold and you cannot respond with a Vampiric Tutor... You're screwed. Yeah. You are host. Let's talk about another series of cards that I like to play with all the time. The various taxing cards. Ugh. Everyone got to pay their taxes. You know what? I don't mind paying my taxes to the government, but I don't want to pay my taxes here. 
<laughs> Sales tax is bad enough. Paying taxes like this? No. No. Bad. <laughs> I love it. Mucho anti bueno, man. <laughs> oh my god. No, seriously. Thorn of Amethyst, Trinosphere, Sphere of Resistance. These are cards that are pain in the next to deal with. But thankfully so, we do have some options to walk around this. We have cards like Jet Medallion and Helm of Awakening that allow us to, on the combo turn, walk around these tax pieces so that way these issues are negated. After you hit Paradox Engine or Scourge Familiar, it should be pretty much smooth sailing. Yeah. The only one to bring real notion in here is Trinosphere. Yeah. Because that is a replacement effect, people. Yeah, unfortunately, Trinosphere deserves some mention. I hate that card. <laughs> um, it's a very respectable $25 it is. at the time of this recording. It is. And the reason why it's a very respectable card is because if for whatever reason you have enough cost reducers to drop the cost of a mana artifact or a mana, mana producing artifact to below three, for example, it's still three mana. Yeah, you we, you can't get around yeah, that. Yeah, those those mana crypts, those uh, lion's eye diamonds. Yeah, they're now the cost of a worn power stone at a bare minimum. Yeah, no, and jet even in jet medallion helmet awakening, yeah, all they could do great. is just look at thing and go, "Hey, cute bro, <laughs> I can't do much." <laughs> yeah, you're hosed on that end. Yeah, while we're also talking about some tax pieces, mm-hmm. let's start. Let's talk about pithy needle, Prexian evoker, and sorcerer's spyglass, which. Should deserve a mentioning here. Yeah, no, all of those three are uh, very problematic, especially uh, depending on what gets nerfed. Now, my major concern as far as this particular deck, the card that I really don't want and that I don't, really don't want to have nerfed is Strionic Resonator. And that's because it prevents us from generating infinite mana off a of Paradox Engine. Now, if they hit Aether Flux Reservoir for whatever reason, I'm not too worried about it. We can go find Exsanguinate via Scourge Familiar, just like we were uh, mentioning with yeah. Stony Silence and Ulrock. Just kill the table that way. It's yeah. not a big issue. Yeah, no. If most of these pieces, if multiple of these pieces come out, yeah, no, that's a rough game. Yeah, you know, one or two pieces we can tolerate. Anything more than that is really, really, really problematic, especially if that happens in succession. Now, let's talk about stacking the odds in our favor, shall we? Yeah, because this deck is a deck based on hypergeometrics at its core. Yep. You know, for you stats and math nerds out there, the secret to this deck's success is its hypergeometric distribution. You'll see why in a minute. If you're not familiar with what hypergeometric distribution is, we're going to link a video in the description to Saffron Olive's video on hypergeometric distribution, which is a Brewer's Minute video. But let's get into the actual deck itself. As it relates to the percentage chances of likelihood of getting certain cards, the likelihood that you'll come across exactly one mana rock in your starting seven for this deck is just over 38%. And the likelihood that you'll have more than one mana rock in your starting seven is just over 40%. That means that 78% of the time, we're going to be starting off with at least one mana rock in our starting seven. That's unheard of for most EVs. Yeah, no, that, that's quite insanely unheard of. But let's take that a turn further. Let's take it out to turn three, which is when this deck is supposed to be winning, right? If you account for the change in sample size, which is from seven to ten cards, which represents the first three cards, 
those numbers change to 28% and 61% respectively, thereby changing the math to an 89% likelihood that by turn three, you'll have one or more mana rocks in your hand. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, now that is very consistent. Now let's take that even step further. Kind of sounds like a ShamWow commercial, right? It, it almost does. It's, yeah. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> let's look at Ad Nauseam. Remember when we were talking about the tutors themselves? Alongside those tutors, which effectively count as having an Ad Nauseam uh, in your hand, the deck also in and of itself runs Ad Nauseam. And we said, what, there's what, 12 tutors overall? No, 12 copies of Ad Nauseam, Yeah, right? 12 copies of Ad Nauseam overall. And 11 tutors themselves. So what that means is, in your starting seven, based on how this deck is currently configured, that means this deck has a 40% chance of having a turn one ad nauseum or a tutor in hand at the beginning of the game. There's also an additional 20% chance of having more than one ad nauseum in hand in your starting seven. Which means, between the tutors and the ad nauseum itself, there's roughly a 60% chance that you will have either ad nauseum itself or a way to go find it in your starting hand. That's disgusting. Yeah, that is pretty dumb. But as for turn three, those numbers change to 39.5% as well as 34.8% respectively, thereby changing the math to about 75% uh, chance by turn three of having ad nauseum in your hand. Yeah, now that's just insane. Have you ever seen a deck that operates that consistently, that quickly? There's very few decks that run like that. Exactly. Like I said, the only other decks that even run like that, 4C Breakfast Hulk, uh, which has four out of five colors in the deck, and then Grenzo Doomsday, which also runs black. Yeah, uh, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> so, we've covered a lot of ground in this deck, and as I said before, we're going to mention, we're going to post a Saffron article Saffron Olive article uh, related to hypergeometric distribution uh, in the links below. Now, in conclusion, if you like Storm and you like winning quickly, this deck is worth not only taking for a spin, but worth building. Against other fast combo decks, both with and without blue, you are generally still favored just because of the math involved. Yeah, no, this is pretty insane. Well, also, just also letting you guys know... That this deck is also roughly based off of an older list from the Lab Maniacs conglomerate. Yes, and we should make mention of that. So, uh, Nakla on tapped out, uh, generally known as Sugar and Duranja off of Lab Maniacs, uh, was one of the original people who, uh, along with the rest of the competitive EDH community, came up with this list. I myself use this list as a jumping off point in order to brew my own version of it. Uh, and out of respect for that author and respect for those guys out there, uh, we're going to go ahead and post his list, uh, his version of uh, Ad Nauseam Fishbowl, so you can see side by side what I've done differently and uh, how their version runs separately yeah, definitely. from us. Now, that's all the time that we have for this episode of the Triart Academy. If you want to see more content like this, feel free to like, share, and subscribe this content with your fellow players. And as always... It's always better to get good rather than get wrecked.